It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? There's an HOA in the neighborhood, an HOA for us neighbors. From time to time, they keep us in line. I have always wanted to live in a neighborhood, it's true. With covenants, restrictions, and bylaws too. So, let's make the most of this beautiful day. Let's see what the association has to say. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Well, good morning, neighbors. It is so good to be with you today. I hope you're having a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. I'm glad that you are here with us. I want to share this little item with you here today. This is pretty interesting. It's a pretty interesting little item. It's a leash for my dog. You can pull it, and then it goes back. You pull it out, and it'll go back. You pull it out and you pull it back. Yes, it's a very interesting little item. You know, it reminds me, I got another letter from the HOA this week. Turns out, um, when I take my little dog Fluffy to the park, I'm supposed to keep Fluffy on that leash and not remove Fluffy off of the leash. and let him run around uh, in the park uh, and play with the children. And so that's a rule from the HOA, and I need to be very respectful of that. So what's interesting to me is that I can't drop my Shih Tzu down on the ground and let him run around, but my neighbor's pit bull can drop his little Shih Tzus all over my yard anytime that he wants. And so sometimes it's difficult to be a good neighbor, isn't it? But we, have all, we all have things to learn. I want to introduce you to another one of my special pets. This is a pet that no one seems to have any problem with. It's my little goldfish here. Hello, little goldfish. How are you? I don't know if you know, but the president of the HOA, his name is Mr. McNasty. He's the one who sent me the letter about my leash, and so I've named my little fish Mr. McNasty in honor and memory of the president so that I can remember how important the HOA is. Hello, how are you today? How are you today, Mr. McNasty? I think he's having a good day. He's a good boy. Well, I don't, I think he's a boy. It's hard to tell with fish, but anyway, that's all the time I have with you today. It's been so good to be with you. Remember, you are special and there's nobody else just like you. Have a wonderful day, church neighbors. We'll see you next time. Good morning, everybody.
As Lindsay had said, welcome to our summer service times. I hope you enjoyed Mr. Rogers. My name is Mr. Fuller, and I'm uh, glad to be with you here today. We're in week two of this series that we've been calling, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And we are trying to take a deeper look, maybe not always serious, but a deeper look into this command of Jesus to love your neighbor as yourself. And last week, <coughs> the, uh, what we looked at is this idea of, of knowing our neighbors, that we can't love our neighbors if we don't know who they are. And so the, the idea and the challenge was, do you know your neighbor's name? Do you know their kids' names? Do you know their dogs' names? Because when we, when, when the, the, the best thing that a person wants to hear is their own name. And so the idea of somebody knowing enough, caring enough about them to know their name is a valuable, important thing. So I want to do a little exercise with you here today. Uh, on your way in, there's a card that uh, Lindsay referred to uh, that you, hopefully you received on the way in. It just has a little bit of information on the back. It says, what is God telling you? What is God teaching you today? There's a, a, a back page there. If you don't have that card, feel free to get any piece of paper or your phone, or you can just write on something mentally in your own mind. And I want you to just write down any names of neighbors that you learned this week. Write down any names of neighbors. Now, if you were not here last week, then you can write down any names of neighbors that you already know. Just go, oh, yeah, I know that person, that person. If you were here last week and you don't know any names of your neighbors, then I want you to just look at that piece of paper in shame, knowing that you didn't do what we talked about last week. Okay, just take 10 seconds and write down any names, any names that you learned or any names of your neighbors that you know. Write down... Okay, good job, except most of you are just looking at me. <laughs> Let me just say, at, uh, what we plan to do throughout this series is give you little assignments and then check in at the beginning to give you an opportunity to maybe write some things down. Was there anything you did differently because of this journey that we're on of won't you be my neighbor? How can we love our neighbors? So I'm inviting you not just to listen, but to truly See how this can roll into your week and see how we can be changed, how we can be different as a result of that. Okay? Great. Hey, would you pray for me and we'll launch into this. Father, I'm so thankful for our neighbors, um, even the ones that we perhaps struggle with. And we know their names, certainly, but we, um, they're some of the hardest ones for us to love. And God, I pray that you would uh, give us the ability to do that through this series. I pray for any names that were written down any names that were thought of, any names that are bouncing around in any of our minds of people that you want us to love, people that you want us to be your hands and your feet to, that we would honor you and that others would be blessed and loved by that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. What we're doing with this series is we are looking at five different characters from one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. It's known as the story the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a story that all of us are familiar with at some level. So last year, we looked at the one who started the story, the expert in the law, who went up to Jesus and knew the summary of the commandments, knew, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And in wanting to kind of dig into the love your neighbor as yourself piece, he asks Jesus a very important question. He says, 
Who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, who is this person that I'm supposed to love? And that's what launches Jesus into the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's why Jesus told the story was in response to that question. So this story is found in Luke chapter 10. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to to go there with me. And um, I always encourage the idea of possibility of taking notes Uh, It's okay to write in your Bible and to kind of explore that that together, but the story's found in Luke chapter 10, and we're jumping into verse 30, where Jesus begins the parable by saying, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. This road from Jerusalem down to Jericho is about a 17-mile road. I have actually driven on this road, and it is uh, very much desert. It, this is part of the road. It looks like that. It's, it's hilly and, um, and, and lots of desert and lots of rocks. There are sections of the road where there are uh, mountainous rocks on the side of the road that form natural caves. And this road was notoriously dangerous because robbers, we don't use that word much anymore, robbers, cops and robbers, you know. but, but this is the word there, that the robbers were hiding or would hide in these caves and then jump out at unsuspecting travelers on this very popular road. And so uh, this road was very known and it was very dangerous. And so what happens on this road is very understandable to any who would have heard this story. So Jesus continues, He says, a priest happened, sounds like the beginning of a joke, (laughs) a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now today, the character that we're talking about is actually two characters, the priest and the Levite. We are clumping them together because they responded in essentially the same way. So today, the one character is the clumping of the priest and the Levite. Now, the story involves a Jewish man who is lying half dead on the side of the road. He's not dead yet. He's half dead. And the story is told by a Jewish rabbi, and the story is prompted by the question of a Jewish person. So there's a very Jewish story. And in this story... The priest is not a regular Jewish person. The priest in this story would have stood out instantly as a professional Jewish person. Okay, this priest would be the pillar of Jewish society. He would be the elite in terms of understanding morality and understanding the law and understanding what one would do in a situation like this. And so the priest is is uh, the, the center of this story, and the priest is a pillar in Jewish culture. The Levite is simply, he's the next traveler, and the Levite is simply a, a, a second in command to the priest, that the Levites were assistants to the priests. All priests are Levites, but not all Levites are priests. So there was a group of people known as the Levites 
from which some would be, would be uh, uh, the elite, the priests, but the whole group in and of themselves, they are the Levites. And so that's why we're clumping them together. Oftentimes, priests and Levites would live in Jericho, and they would make the 17-mile trip up to Jerusalem for their responsibilities in the temple. Uh, they might be there for a number of days or a number of weeks. Then they would return back to uh, Jericho. And so Jericho was kind of like the suburbs. And so they'd be able to, to go and commute up to Jerusalem, do their responsibilities, and go back to uh, Jericho. The story says that they went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, so they were heading home as they were traveling on this road. And what do we find in this story? How do they react to the man who's, who, who is, uh, uh, to the victim, to the one who is lying half dead on the side of the road? Well, it says that they, both of them, they saw him and then proceeded on the opposite side of the road. And the reason that that's important is that they cannot, the priest or the Levite can't at the end of this story lean on the excuse of, I didn't see him. They can't lean on that excuse of, of ignorance. I didn't know that this was happening. And so, so they saw what was going on and they chose to go on the other side of the road. This was an important part of, of this um, of this story here. And so, why would they have done such a thing? I mean, why would a loving priest, the pillar of society, the elite, how is it possible that a priest would have walked past this man dying on the side of the road? And many have made many uh, conjectures as to why this may have been the case. One Reasonable possibility is that the priest was afraid that on this very dangerous road, if you see someone lying uh, on the side of the road, it would be very possible that you, uh, uh, as you went to help that person, that you would be attacked by other robbers who are hiding in the caves, and it's just a trap. It's just a trap. And so uh, could it be that the priest and the Levite are concerned for their own safety, and they're saying, we don't wanna fall into that trap, and the wise thing is to not help the person half dead on the side of the road. Well, another possible explanation as to why they would have walked by is that the priest would, would never wanna to touch a dead person, that, the, that if the person was, was was dead, or if the person died as the priest goes over to help, and he just takes his last breath, and then he's dead, and the priest just happens to touch him, the priest would then, by Jewish law, would be unclean, and it would be a long seven-day difficult process for that priest to become clean again. And so it could be that the priest was trying to avoid being unclean. Now, why they walked past in this story, we're not sure, but the question I have for you is, why would you walk past? Last week, I confessed that this area is not an area of strength of mine, that the whole loving our neighbors is not an area of strength of mine, that my home is my sanctuary, and so I like to go into my home and uh, close the door behind me, and oftentimes I don't love my neighbors, I avoid my neighbors. And when I said that last week, it was so interesting because um, 
I can see your faces. You might not know it. You might think that you're safe sitting where you are, but I can see your faces. I can see some of the faces of judgment uh, when I say that. But, but more importantly, I can see the faces of connection. I can see the faces that when I say I avoid them, that you look up at me and you nod your head and smile and you go, that's where I'm at. Uh, Mr. Fuller. And so I can see that sense of recognition in there. In other words, you know why the priest walked on the other side of the road. You know why a priest would do that because sometimes we just want to avoid our neighbors. And we know that that's not right. We're not, we're not defending it as, as the right thing, but we can relate to that feeling, that preference to avoid the situation. So again, what about you? Why would you, in a situation anywhere comparable to this, why would you walk on the other side of the road and avoid the situation to help somebody, avoid the situation to love somebody? I think one of the most popular reasons or one of the most common reasons is that we're too busy. And this may have been the priest and the Levite situation. I'm too busy, got too many things to do. I got too many assignments to do, too many deadlines to meet, too many schedules to keep up with. I'm just too busy. I don't have enough time for helping people, loving people. Just when you hear me say that, how does it feel? I mean, I mean, how do you think it would, how effective would it be to stand before Jesus with that excuse? If you were explaining to Jesus why you didn't help somebody or love somebody, How well do you think it would go to just say, you know, I was too busy, I didn't have time. I'm not sure that one holds a ton of water. Or maybe an excuse that we might have would be that we uh, think that the person deserves it. We see somebody who is in distress and we've watched them, we know a little bit of their story and we go, you know what? There are consequences to sin. And you made your bed and so now you gotta lay in it. You've made your cake and now you gotta eat it. Does that work? That probably doesn't work in that setting, but yeah, you understand what I'm saying, that, that there are consequences to sin, that I've watched you raise your children, and you haven't done a good job, so now that there's a problem with your child, hey, that's, you, you have earned this, this predicament that you found yourself in. You're the one who was walking down that road at night without protection on your own, and you got caught by the robbers. There are consequences to sin. The Bible says, you reap what you sow. Well, like I said last week, we need to be careful with ever using scripture as a weapon to judge other people. That no verses, no words of our Savior are about us having the opportunity to judge other people or to throw stones at other people. That the purpose of scripture, whatever scripture you have of memorized, whatever scripture you know, it is a tool to pierce your own heart It's not a weapon to condemn or to judge other people. One more possibility on why some of us might avoid helping somebody out is this might be the spiritual journey to just think, you know, maybe that's God's will for that person. Maybe it's God's will for that person to suffer. Who am I to get in the way of God's will? And once again, I would say, How confident would you be in giving that as an excuse, standing before Jesus? I'm not sure that one would hold up either. In the words of Bob Goff, 
He wrote a book called Everybody Always. And the essential idea is love everybody always. Just, it's a whole book just about love everybody always. Let God figure it out beyond that. Let God sort it out beyond that. But our role as followers of Christ, as ambassadors of Jesus, of, of, the, of the kingdom of Jesus, love everybody always. So here we have a Jewish man dying half dead on the side of the road. Why do you think Jesus would have chosen a priest to be the one, it was the first example, the first one here in this story to interact with the victim. Why would Jesus have chosen a priest? I think it's because a priest is the one above all others who's supposed to know what to do. A, a priest is the one who knows what they're supposed to do. If it was a regular Jewish person walking down the road and they weren't sure how they were to handle that situation and they were gonna run through their head, what are the options? Should I be afraid? Is it wise for me to approach this half-dead person on the side of the road? Is that the smartest thing for me to do? What, what does the law say? What am I supposed to do in this situation? If a regular Jewish person wanted to know what to do in that situation, to whom would he or she go to get the answer? A priest, a priest, right? So when Jesus says in this story that a priest passes by the person dying on the side of the road, Jesus is pulling out that excuse of, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to do because it's the priest who would know exactly what he was supposed to do. The priest above all others, above anyone who would have been walking along that road would have known what to do. And the priest didn't do what he was supposed to do. And this excuse of, of if the guy was dead and then he touched an unclean, um, or he touched a dead body, which would make him unclean, that excuse is really hogwash because in the Jewish journey, um, and a priest would absolutely know this, that, it's, that all Old Testament laws, even the weird ones, even the ones that we read that don't make any sense to us, and there are plenty of them, we read, what is that all about? All of the Old Testament laws, they protect life. They're always about protecting life, that the purpose of the laws are about the value of life. Even in the Old Testament, when, there are, when the Pharisees were challenging what Jesus was doing and say, you can't do that, the law says you can't do that on the Sabbath day, they weren't saying don't heal the person, they were saying don't heal the person on that day, do it tomorrow. Let's follow the law, take care of the person, do it tomorrow. But if a life was at risk, then they would say, well, we'll take care of it for sure. That, that the law is always about protecting life. A priest would know this. So that one doesn't really hold up. The priest knows what you're supposed to do in that situation. Above anybody else in that culture, the priest knows what they're supposed to do. And, and the Old Testament, or the New Testament says something really interesting about priests. Peter um, who was one of the disciples, and he wrote some of our New Testament. And in a book, in a, a letter that we refer to as 1 Peter chapter 2, he says that those who are followers of Christ, those who are believers, are a holy priesthood. This is, this is interesting. This is fascinating because in the Jewish culture, the priest is the elite. And Peter says, if you're a follower of Christ, you are a priest. 
The priest prior to Jesus is the one through whom someone could connect with God. But because of Jesus, we don't need priests anymore. You and I have direct access to God. We don't need a mediator between us and God. And so the powerful new idea is you are a priest. If you're a believer, you're a priest. This is known as the priesthood of all believers. It's a theological phrase. The priesthood of all believers. That if you're a follower of Christ, you're a priest. I'm not saying this to lower the expectations for the clergy. I'm saying this to raise the expectations of all of us who say Jesus is Lord. To say, we are the priests. We are the ones who know what we're supposed to do in that situation. We can't hide behind and say, priest, what should I do? We know what we're supposed to do. In most of our situations with our neighbors, we have a sense of what we're supposed to do because the Holy Spirit lives in us. If you're a believer, you know what we're supposed to do. We don't get to hide behind that excuse. We know what the law says about loving our neighbor. We know what Jesus says about who our neighbor is. We know what a priest is supposed to do because we are the priesthood. Now, I know that so far I've been talking a lot about priests, blah, 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 blah. And Levites, blah, 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 blah. And I, I, I know sometimes when I write a message that I kind of look it over and I think, yeah, I probably would have lost them about there. I know I kind of have that sense sometimes and I feel like I've, I've been blah, blah, blahing a little bit. Let me try to draw you back with a question, okay? I wanna try to bring you back in with a very important question. A question that is more important then what am I supposed to do? Which is a great question. It's an, that's an important question. What am I supposed to do? But here's a question that's more important than that. Do you care? Huge jump between what am I supposed to do and do I care about the situation here? See, the priest knew, knew what he was supposed to do. A priest absolutely knows what the right response in this situation is. But the reason he went, along the other, went on the other side of the road is he lost sight of caring for that person. The way we make a jump from thoughts to action is whether or not we care about the person, whether or not we care about what happens to them. If that person laying half dead on the side of the road was your mom or your dad or your close friend or your spouse or your child, you would have no hesitation on jumping in to help because you care about that person instantly. Boom, there would be no hesitation whatsoever. The reason we hesitate, the reason we, the reason we slow down with the what am I supposed to do is the care piece. Do you care about those that you interact with at the restaurant, at the store, when you're driving, in your neighborhood? Do you care about your neighbors around you? When we care, we don't gossip. Okay, so when you think about your neighbors, when you talk about your neighbors, sometimes some people, probably not those of you here in this room, but sometimes, some people, when they talk about their neighbors, it goes in the form of gossip. But when we care about somebody, 
We don't need them to get lower so that we can feel better about ourselves. We don't get pleasure and satisfaction about them going lower so that we can feel better about ourselves. That's not what caring about someone looks like. Any sentence that starts with the phrase, did you hear about so-and-so, is an uncaring sentence. I mean, it's, it's our conversation and the way we think about other people. Do we care about them? When we care about people, we want the best for them. We don't want to push them down to feel better about ourselves. We actually want the best for them. Do you want your neighbors to thrive? Do you want them to thrive in their marriages? Then why not invite them to a re-engaged journey? Do you want them to thrive in their parenting? Do you want them to know what God's overall story is so that they can realize they have a role to play in that story and that they can enjoy playing out that role? If you believe that the very best thing for your neighbors is God, then do you truly want them to know who God is? Do you truly want them to see how great God is through your life and how you're interacting with that person? Do you really care? I once heard a preacher say, if you're not concerned about your neighbor's salvation, then I'm concerned about yours. Let me, let me revisit Mr. McNasty for just a minute. I wanna just come and, and I realize I'm kind of playing both roles here, Mr. Fuller and Mr. Rogers here, but, but I just wanna interact with Mr. Mr. McNasty um, he is a healthy, happy fish. I used to work at a pet store, so I, I know. About, I look at him, I look at his fins. They're, they're all nice and full and strong, and the, his movement uh, is evidence that he's a strong, healthy fish. He has a good life. Why not? I mean, he's taken care of by a higher power who, who on a regular basis, will provide him with food. It's like manna from heaven, flakes from heaven that just are provided for him uh, coming uh, down from on top. Now, I want you to imagine that Mr. McNasty is your neighbor, and he's dying. You can't breathe. He's sitting there. And he's struggling. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're not comfortable. <laughs> you're not happy with this moment whatsoever. And you're not really listening to me very much because all you want is for me to put him back in the water. You're uncomfortable. I can feel it. And if you had access to him, you, some of you kind of want to jump up here on stage and you want to take care of this situation. And you know what you're supposed to do. You know what's supposed to happen right now. He's supposed to go back in the, in the bowl where he can breathe. <laughs> You're very uncomfortable. You know what's supposed to happen. Come on, Mr. McNasty. He's fine. He's fine. He's still... He can actually stay out there for a whole lot longer than what he was. But here's the interesting thing that I believe happened and that I knew what happened. Some of you were more concerned about that fish 
for 30 seconds than you are about your neighbors. And now your response might be, well, that's not fair, Alan. That's emotionally not fair because this fish was just sitting there gasping for water, gasping for oxygen. It's not fair because my neighbor is not, is not sitting on a, on, a, on a table gasping for air. My neighbor is not sitting on the side of the road half dead, beaten up by robbers and in, in, with his life threatened. And I would venture to say and to challenge that your neighbor is dying. That our neighbors who do not know who Jesus is are dying. Our neighbors who do not know the consequences of our sin, who don't understand how much our sin separates us from God, which has dramatic impact on our life here in this world and and enormous impact on our life in eternity, that those consequences cannot be taken care of based on our own efforts, that the wages of sin is what? Death. Our neighbors are dying. They're flopping around, gasping for meaning and purpose, and, and they are dying. So the question is, do you care? As you think about your neighbors, as you think about interacting with your neighbors, as you think about your frustration with your neighbors, as you think about how your neighbors have not done what you would like them to do, do you care about them? Do you care about them dying and in need of life? The expert in the law that we looked at last week, he went up to Jesus to test Jesus and he walked away with an assignment. Love your neighbor. Okay, now, now. He went to test Jesus and he walked away with something to do. And so as we walk out this series, we wanna walk out things to do. So last week, the, the, the assignment was learn your neighbor's name. You can't love them if you don't know who they are, so learn your neighbor's name. And this week, the question is, do you care about your neighbor? And the assignment is this, and it's very doable for anyone and everyone here in this room. Pray for your neighbor this week by name. So we know what our neighbor's name is, and if you didn't do last week's assignment, you can catch up. Know your neighbor's names. And then as you walk around, as you go out to get the mail, as you take your fluffy for a walk, whatever that looks like, pause and pray for your neighbors by name. Something amazing happens. Some amazing change happens when we pray for people. We think about them differently. We respond to them differently. Because then when that, that thing happens with our neighbor again, some kind of interaction, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, I've been praying for you. You don't have to tell them that you've been praying for you. You can if you want, but you don't have to. You can just in the back of your mind go, I've been praying for you. Because my prayers help remind me that I care for you. And so we pray for our neighbors. We pray the best for them. Then when we interact with them, we're ready. We're more ready in those moments to love them to care for them, to help them, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. My hope for us this week is that we 
shift from the question of what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? To do I care? Do I care about my neighbors? Do I care about the person serving me at the restaurant or the cashier at the grocery store? Do I care about my neighbors around me? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I pray that you would give us new lenses this week. New lenses to see the world around us, to see the difference between a neighbor who's annoying us and, an, and that same neighbor who is dying in search of you. God, I pray that you would help us to make that shift. And in doing that, in praying for our neighbors, that we would grow in our care for them, that we would be ready then to respond to needs that surface. God, I pray that there would be another nudge here in this community as a result of these conversations, as a result of your story, your incredible parable, that there would be an impact here in these homes in this community because of what you're doing here in this place, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.